Today was the day, the day Giles was finally going to ask her on a date. He'd been eyeing her over the coffee shop counter for the past month, but his carriage always failed him. His smile was gorgeous, infectious, a kind every man wanted to see in the mornings, preferably first thing in the morning, but Giles wouldn't count his chickens. He couldn't help but smile back whenever she smiled at him like that. Her chestnut brown eyes locked on and drew him in. He never did that with any of the other customers, at least not as far as Giles could tell. And he had been looking pretty damn hard. He had long black hair tied back in a pigtail, a strong square jaw that he wanted to run his fingers along. Things like this always had a shrinking window of opportunity. If he didn't say something soon, the window would close forever. He dressed in his best suit, checked himself in the mirror, I promised to sort, start going to the gym again. He headed out mumbling to himself. He went through what he was going to say when he saw her. He ordered his usual then, he reached for his coffee, he asked for a number. Clean and simple, that was the way to go. He reached the bus stop, two minutes later his number pulled up. He got on, leaving his card on the machine. I found a seat, not too busy today. He looked out the window at Austin, as Austin slipped past. A man waited patiently in his brown, as his brown labrador cocked his leg up at a tree, favourably. Turned down a quiet cul-de-sac to him the papers. A woman struggled to start her car. Well began its business. Twenty minutes later, Charles' bus pulled up and it stopped. He thanked the bus driver. He stepped off and he stepped off. He walked down the street. It was called Oasis Coffee, a, lo- a small local coffee shop with a hand-me-down furniture designed to look rustic. Giles' software company was located five minutes behind it. His heart pounded in his chest. He felt sick. He already started sweating. He wondered if this was what having a heart attack felt like. Put a hand to the wall. Up. He put a hand to the wall, feeling a little unsteady. Before taking a few deep breaths, you can do this. He told himself. You can ask a girl out. He smoothed his suit and raised a hand to the door. Burst open before he reached it. A man in a brown raincoat and black fedora stepped out. He carried an umbrella under one arm and a suitcase in the other. He didn't. He wasn't looking where he was going. He probably, probably couldn't see much beneath the hatch-born beam brim. He knocked hard into drills. Excuse me, the man said, not slowing or stopping. Arsehole. Pleasuring with Giles' shoulder, knocked him up sideways. There was a soft noise, like broken glass. Giles looked down and spotted something lying on the sidewalk. Synodical, with a top and bottom made of metal, and a glass barrel tube inside, being filled with some kind of dark green green liquid. Now spilled over the sidewalk. Hey, you dropped something, Giles said. The man didn't stop. He hustled across the street. Ignoring the blare of the car's home. Ahead of Charles and approaching fast was a little girl holding her mother's hand. She might try to pick the glass up and hurt herself. Charles slid the shards of glass aside with his foot. On both side, he no longer felt nervous about asking the girl out or date anymore. He could thank the Raymond Coat man for that much. 
He turned to peer inside the coffee shop through a glazed window. As the girl who worked behind the at the girl who worked behind the counter, same gorgeous brown eyes, the same black hair, tied back on her head, the same mesmerizing smell. Smile. Charles coughed. Damn. He must have caught a cold. He caught coughed again and again, thick and voluminous, a hacking fit that shook his lungs and head. He went over coughing so hard he could hardly breathe, and then he didn't couldn't breathe. His eyes grew wide. He opened his mouth to shut. The words got lodged in his throat. He clapped to the ground, scrambling in the top button of his shirt. He was beginning to get a crowd now. Hey man, you're right, Possible Why said. Giles collapsed. A gasp went up as a small crowd gathered round him. Though he blurry through his very vision he saw a girl standing over him. And the girl he thought he saw concerned saw concern on her face. It was the last thought that ever passed through his mind. Two. About that time Giles was finding a seat on his bus. Emmerin was preparing another latte. The first time she started working as a protista, she thought she'd never get the hang of it. There were too many buttons and knobs and dials and machines. After a few weeks of rote repetition, she'd soon learned most of it was unnecessary. She could content herself with drawing awesome artwork in the coffee foam. She knew her art, art diploma would come in handy one day. She placed her coffee on the tabletop and called out the order. Emmerman was short but strong, and her voice carried easily to all corners of the shop. Cousin stood to one side and grinned at her when she sco- he scooped up his coffee. He leered at her like a wolf with a newborn lamb. Emmerman smiled back perfunctionally and kept her eyes down. Move on, lover boy. You can't handle me. She long since discovered she preferred shyer, quieter guys. She was surprised she got so much attention when she first arrived in the United States, back in her hometown of Tulia. She's a regular plain girl here in the US, her darker skin, she's exotic. She was been surprised about how direct American guys were. She didn't hesitate to ask for a number. She never gave it out, instead of preferring to take theirs. That way she had a control. There was one guy she liked, a shy guy who came in every day. He'd been looking She'd seen him looking at her. He, she didn't feel threatened the way she did with the other guys. He hoped he would eventually go around to ask him on a date. It taken a month already. He still hadn't got around to it. He would come in, come in soon, she knew, glancing at the clock on the wall. He followed the same routine each day, every day. Another trait she liked. He reminded her of her father. She wondered how many girls went on, went for men like their fathers. Probably most, she thought. Emmin liked to people watch. She liked to imagine their personality type, what they were doing in the coffee shop that day. Cup over there, huddled together, and hunched over a piece of paper. It looked like something important, a bill, a notice. She had no idea, but it looked serious enough for them to have a very frank conversation about it. Over there, a girl typing on a laptop. She came every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. Never ordered the same drink twice in a row. Emin had glanced at the screen once and noticed she was working on what looked suspiciously like a novel. Emin loved reading and often wanted to ask her about her story, but it was against company rules to bother customers. 
and the other the one off the ones that pass through like ships in the night. One that caught her eye was a one that caught her eye was a midway man in a brown white raincoat. He removed his hat and placed it on the small circular table beside his coffee top cup. His umbrella was balanced across his knee. His side, his briefcase was perched on the seat opposite him. Every few seconds, he glanced up at us. He was engaged in conversation with it. His lips moved, mumbling. Before shaking his head, injecting sips from his coffee cup as punctuation, he glanced about the room, shifting his focus from one person to another. Emrin supposed he liked to watch people too. She reached over and pulled on the strap that held his briefcase, shut and unbuckled it. He removed everything, holding it far flat across his palm. It looked like something, some kind of container. Emrin didn't know why, but simply seeing it brought a shiver up her spine. It looked like something she'd seen in a movie once for life. But for life, she couldn't recall which one. Then the man nodded his head, came to his decision. He donned his hat, looked at his arm, hooked his arm around the briefcase, and grasped the umbrella in his free hand. He left his coffee, barely touched. He got to his feet, turned, and pushed the door open. Emin trained, had been trained to say, Thank you again, thank you, come again. But was he sure she wanted him to come again? Someone shouted something outside, through the small square windows. Emlyn made out the man, raincoat, take off, and a jog. Emlyn was distracted as she placed the next coffee on its countertop and called out the order. A couple sat hundred, hunched over the letter, turned their heads in the direction of the door, apparently noticing something happening outside. A woman got up and moved through the door. As she did, Emlyn glanced, glimpsed a crowd forming. She lifted the little partition table and moved to the door. She joined as a crowd huddled around a man who had collapsed on the sidewalk. He was a man she hoped would ask her on a date. He was clutching at his throat, struggling to breathe. I'm a nurse, the little woman said. Let me through. The crowd parted. The entire street attention was focused on a scene taking place. On a scene taking place. All but one figure. Across the road, staying at a zebra crossing, was a man in a raincoat. He had a lot of look on his face, blank, devoid of motion. Emily didn't know if he noticed her looking at him or not. He turned and walked away. Hello, Lula said. Hello, can you hear me? He gently nudged the guy, turning his, his face to her. His eyes were far away in distance. Emily could tell by the man's slouched posture. He has already gone. Does anyone know his name? The nurse said. Does anyone know who he is? No, Emrin said in a voice he didn't sound like her own. But I've been hoping to find out. Can you call an ambulance? The nurse said, we need to get him to. The man took a long, deep breath through his still clenched throat. Emlyn's heart hitched. The man in miraculously come back to them. Emlyn's hope faded as you realised it went. Hadn't been a breath of air at all, but exhale, the last of oxygen in his body, excavating his lungs. Emin's blood turned to ice, her veins, a sight of the man. It wasn't a warm expression. The young man she hoped to court, he was a grizzly eyes of a beast. His eyes, bloodshot and red, flimsy and glassy with distance. It took a moment to look at the crowd that had massed around him. There was no expression on, what, on that face. No relief, no gratitude. The nurse 
must have noticed something was wrong too. He said, everybody get back. Everybody get back. She didn't get another word out as Giles reared up from the ground like a marionette. The strings had buried his teeth in a woman's throat. Maybe the quiet ones aren't so caring after all. Three. Marina had been the first to reach for her phone. She didn't think to consider why she did it. She did it because it was what she always did in a situation, not even remotely interesting. A whole world was a stage, and it was a shame for something beautiful to only be viewed once, or something horrific. She'd been listening to music when a man began to clutch at his throat and fell to the ground. A crowd rambling around. That meant this was going to be really good. She might even break her light record. Marina turned the music off and activated the video camera, one of the very best in the market, and aimed at the man lying in the street. She was a little annoyed. She wasn't the only one to record this. They were stealing her views. She wanted... She didn't know CPR, so she couldn't help the man, even if she wanted to. Sure, she could have called emergency services, but she knew someone else would do that. Then the man became still, bummer. A deaf video rarely did well online, especially got someone got in the way. He hissed for her teeth and moved around, obstructed to see clearer. The woman beside the man was speaking, but Maria didn't pay atten- wasn't paying atten- any attention to her. He was focused entirely on the man. He looked so calm and serene. His lips had turned purple blue, and his skin was pale white. White drew seat from the corner of his mouth and ran down his chin. He looked completely calm and at ease. Then Peter, the man began to shake, a shivering moment, as if he was cold. If this video had a happy ending, the viewers would lap it. His eyes opened and groaned, escaped his lips. Arena felt her skin prickle with goosebumps. Then she heard that sound. It was so sad, depressed, and somehow vinyl-like. It never should have been expressed from a healthy man's mouth. His eyes were bloodshot and red. Days he didn't know where he was. He turned his head around to the side, going on to Oriental. The scene didn't look real. Then Marina did something she'd never done before. She peered out from behind a phone to look the man directly in the eye. Marina loved the grace and beauty of lions, wolves, computer wallpapers were soon with them. A man had a similar look in his eye. A new rage had been airbrushed away for public consumption. No, not rage, hunger. His eyes focused on a woman in front of him. He, she turned away to ask for help. Her drug loving was fully exposed. The man intended on taking a full advantage of it, bared his teeth. Marina could see she was going, what was going to happen. But the words of warning didn't come. She doubted if it would have made much difference as a man moved so fast, lurching forward, leading with his teeth as he wrapped them around the woman's exposed neck. The woman, shocked, stepped back like an, an innocent deer at a watering hole. Too late, the man already buried his teeth in a thick flesh over the neck. The onlookers in shock leaped back, stepping into the street. A car honked its horn, swerving and hitting the brakes to avoid them. The crowd looked dazed, fearful and unsure. The man ripped his head back and tore an enormous chunk from the neck. The blood sprayed over the wan with the energy of a bird's fire hydrant. The woman screamed as he clutched her throat, already losing consciousness as her blood puddled.
across the sidewalk. She lay still as her life rapidly seeped out of her. Half the crowd found her their feet and turned to run. Marina wasn't one of them. She felt the warm trickle escape from her legs and ran down the pants she spent half her paycheck on his mouth. She stared transfixed on the screen as she was a third person, one of the viewers watching far away as the man, the murderer, got to his feet and approached her. Marina watched him chew a meat and swallow. Eyes rolled back like he was enjoying a fine wine. His, uh, his eyes firmly fixed directly on the camera. Marina gibbered, arms shaking violently. She couldn't move as a man opened his jaws wide and fell on her. But you did go viral. Not that Maria was there to enjoy it. 4. Jason cranked up his music up loud. It helped him to think. He didn't have any classes that morning and, and had slept in a paper that was due that afternoon. He hadn't even started yet. He had been taken, given two weeks to work on it. With each assignment he vowed, he began earlier. He was too set in his ways to change. First he conducted his research. He boot up messenger, shooting the friends. A message asking what they've written. He half a for ideas. At the same time, he pulled up Google. Again, searching first the question the teacher set the alternative forms it might take. Bingo, he found a paperwork page where someone had been kind enough to post Every essay they've written from them when they took the same class. Different school, different state, similar questions. He scanned them, them picked out the good ideas. He entered them into his word document, began to brainstorm the structure of an art, the argument. He had his audience in mind. His teacher, the tailored argument, his beliefs, opinions, liberal democrat, green supporter. He leaned back, pleased with his work. So far, he'd had the, the, the four against argument planned out. Now he just needed to write the damn thing. Out the corner of his eye he noticed flashing light. Messages on messenger. It, it would have to wait, he thought, before noticing how many there were. A dozen. He would glance at it. He told himself, I'll take a, it'll take a few seconds. I'll take a second. Probably be rubbish anyway. When he clicked on, he realised there was a bunch of people all sharing the same link. What the hell? It had been posted by someone called Maria. Jacob knew Maria in his English class. To call him friends isn't quite right, as he rarely spoke, but he's aware of her. She's one of those empty, beheaded types who interpreted the corners of each school. Class at school, too busy typing and messaging to focus on the lesson. It was a video, something happening live on Facebook. He lowered the mouse over it, but couldn't stop himself from clicking on it. There was so many people clicking to it, he knew there would be something and everyone would be talking about. Being left out of things about the rest of your class, or even worse, your entire school is informed on, was not a wise move in the modern era. He clicked it on, on it and immediately thought it was a fake. A man standing there with blood in his over his front and chewing on something that looked like a raw meat. Jacob slapped a hand over his mouth. He clicked on the comment button, flexed his fingers, moving, right, moving a message to write a message several times before he finally calmed down enough to know what he was going to type. Is this shit for real? He did hit post. He comment, commit, comment joined a host of others. And was immediately swallowed alert by a vast cascade. I ran for the page. The live video wasn't finished yet. 
The figure slowly got up to his feet, his eyes fastened by the screen, stepped forward towards it. Oh, God! Oh, my God! Run, Maria! For God's sake, please run! <coughs> he couldn't hear his pleas, nor from the thousands of others watching in morbid fascination. Maria was doing exactly what everyone was doing. She memorising, frozen in place, gibbering and whining as the figure closed in, eyes wide, a mad mouth, mauling open the jaws of hell, preparing to end Maria's suffering for good. The camera got knocked to the ground, bouncing along the baby's lamps. Now Jacob could see the blue sky, a flurry, fluffy white clouds. Maria's arms waved, struggling to get a figure off her. The wet, slapping, snapping sounds were made worse by the fact he didn't, couldn't see how they would cause. A mind conjured up alternatives, possibilities far more grotesque than that that was actually taking place. Although by the screams of growl and muffled cries, Jacob found that hard to believe. Then silence of pause before his shadow stood over the phone, a monthly flash of sunlight illuminated Maria's erect face as she turned and headed away. A star of her own video. Jacob sat in silence a moment, horrified and disgusted by what he'd just seen. He didn't know what to make of it. All he could could think to do was to click share and let everyone see the injustice that had done to her. He never finished the essay. It seemed trivial now. Five years video video hadn't wasn't the only one that got uploaded via live stream, but it was the first of in minutes. But dozens of them, then hundreds, and soon the entire internet was awash with video documentation of what was happening in Austin. Someone later spliced the videos together, connecting over them to create the time-lapse graphic that showed where and how fast the virus was spreading. It looked remarkably like a bacterium multiplying and conquering a petri dish. It was indeed a virus. It was ripping the velvet rut apart. The general public wasn't the only viewers of the incident. People in high places were watching too, and they were ready to take action. Six. Some people are idi- were idiots. Malcolm thought as he got to the intersection. You've got to indicate you're so annoyed by what people that what the people gathered on the street had done, stepped in the traffic like lemons. He'd been aware of them, gathered around as they were. He didn't know why, didn't care to know why. He glanced his rear mirror at the crowds as the crowd screamed. Other cars went shy and slowing down, get a good view and cause a tailback. Malcolm hated rubberneckers, even more than suicidal idiots. He hit the brakes and managed to avoid lemmings. He honked his horn to vent his spleen a little before hitting the gas and pulling away. If he hit one of them, whose side would the judge come down on? Not the innocent driver, that was sure. Calm down, Mel, his wife Abigail said softly. He could read him better than a book. He knew, often knew, what he was going to do before he did himself. He tended to fly off the handle sometimes. He forced himself to smile and share it with her. I am calm, he said. He glanced back at the sea. The girls were happily reading the comic books, giggling at the funniest page pictures. 
They were good girls. They that helped him to calm him down too. He smiled and reached over to squeeze his wife's knee. She grinned back at him. He was blessed for this family. He they were heading on a camping trip. They were very much looking forward to it. It is only so much time you could spend since you thought it started to wear you down. It about the right it was about the right time for them to get out and surround themselves with some nature. They were blissfully unaware of the events taking place outside the car. A radio and wasn't turned on. Abigail had confiscated all electric devices before they set off. So they really so they could be ready be together. It was good to un- be unplug. They were coming to a time pipe when they take then beyond the city limits, around the hostile grey of the city, was merging green and yellow, another few miles, and they would see giant fir trees, rolling green hills on either side. Man, this was a beautiful country. Oh my God, Edward said, what is that? It took Malcolm a moment to re- recognise his wife was referring to, and even when he noticed it moving out of the corner of his eye that he, that he saw it, he leaned forward in his seat and gazed up at the object, Floating above them, even at his angle, he couldn't make out the whole thing. It's grey and hard like concrete. He noticed it earlier in his mind, but his mind decided it's some kind of overpass or bridge. But it wasn't. It was a solid mass, and it was coming down, stretching beyond the full expanse of the road. Malcolm's first thought was that some kind of alien ship. He never held much truck and with such ideas before, but he's certainly open to possibility now. What other explanation would there be? And now it, it was moving faster. Malcolm made a decision immediately. What it was, it wasn't usual. Usual was predictable. As usual was safe. He had his engine screamed at him to get as far from the thing as possible. He shifted down the gear and matched his foot on the gas. The engine roared and struggled to pick up on the way it would have if they had brought so much on their camping trip. Malcolm Abigail said, bracing herself and grabbing Gripping her seat with her hands, the girls in the back began to cry. Our girl turned to calm them, but it, but it was obvious in her tone, a voice. She wasn't relaxed either. It was a race against time, and time it took the object, whatever it was, to slam into the earth and block the escape. Malcolm needed to run past it before it did that. A terrible thing was going to happen. He heard a voice in the back of his mind say, now Malcolm was closer, he could see the bottom of the block wasn't was solid at all, but some kind of thick liquid. He partially translucent, the sunlight shining through it, causing rainbow ribbons across the hood of his car. Malcolm kept his heart depressed. He could see in his mirrors that the cars were high, so then rather than attempt to speed through. Malcolm's car passed in the object's shadow now, speedily, readily, rapidly for the line of sunlight that marked the finish line on the other, on the other side. The block was falling faster now. It was going to be a close thing. The engine screamed, marching his daughter's, marching his daughter's tone at the bubbly soft liquid. Descended the final distance and slammed on top of the car. The car was mobilised immediately. The thicky goo trapping it like a great piece of flypaper. No way they were getting through this sucker. Malcolm pressed his crest pedal in an attempt to push through it. The engine only whined, finding, finding to no traction, it was no good. They were stuck. The windows burst, oh, hadn't burst, oh, burst or exploded. The car was in perfectly good shape. It was so close to getting through, though. 
Just a few more yards, the sunlight taunted him, bright on the other side of the genius mass. Malcolm turned to his family. It's all right. We're okay. The girls are crying. Abigail removed her seatbelt and climbed in the back of the hug the girls. She slushed them in an effort to calm them down. This stuff we've trapped in, it's not solid, Malcolm said. I shall we can dig our way out of it. He smiled his his kids. We're going to be all right. A long hairy girl's head behind began to rise, forming dark hollows of brown. They stopped their crying and stared at each other, wearing matching expressions of horror. It reminded Malcolm of the electric orb machine at the museum they visited one weekend in Hilton previous year. The kid had been excited to put their hands on the machine to charge their bodies, charge their bodies with electricity, made their hair stand up on end. They hadn't been horrified then. Before they knew, they they wouldn't be, because they knew they wouldn't be harmed. Whole car hummed. Glancing out the window, Malcolm noticed the lip was changing. Through the thickness of the globe was a wall of something solid, approaching fast. In a bolt of lightning, electricity altered the gel's monocles. It stiffened, turning rock solid. Malcolm, poor, though his level and grocery was, knew what was in the cards. He looked at his family tears around his eyes. I'm sorry. He managed to say before the car imploded, liquid solidifying around them, crashing the car like an empty tin can. Malcolm was an arsehole. No one had a kind word for him to say about him. Johnny was sure he let go left to go on a holiday, knowing that was a big meeting this week. He'd chosen to take it right now to avoid having to do any of the hard work. Malcolm wasn't a team player. The loner only managed to become division manager because he'd been at the company so long. Johnny slammed the phone down, threatening to take, break the headset. He called, tried calling Malcolm a dozen times already. He turned out dear old Malcolm had intentionally given them the wrong contact details. Marvellous. You shouldn't, simply couldn't take off like that in the modern world. Malcolm thought he was still working in the slower-paced 90s. Johnny shoved him himself away from the table and stood up. He needed a little distraction. Company life wasn't without its perks. There was a girl he had his eye on for a while or now. Her name was Nadia. She was the cutest thing he'd seen in this place since, well, the girls she placed. Nadia was from Turkey. Her raving hair spilled down her tanned face. Her eyes were velvet green, vibrant green, and really popped against her black dark skirt. Against her dark skin, he liked to think he saw something in her eyes. The suggested was dark mine too. Most girls her age were. He replaced the previous girl he got on a little too close to him in their relationship. He had to let her go. She hadn't taken it too well. Some guys, girls exploded when you dumped them. Others imploded. She'd been very much the latter type. She had to check into a hospital over for a migraine to contact the drew to stress. Did Johnny feel guilty? Sure, sure. He never taken the relationship seriously and knew she cared for him a great deal more than he did for her. He made his intentions clear that she apparently had been blind to them, preferring to let herself hope some could more hope more could happen between them. Hey no dear Johnny said, splashing the smile. Splashing the smile was considered winning. Nadia was the co-worker showing her a program she'd be, she'd be using. I'm wondering if he talked to you about the thing 
He mentioned Paul and Nadia grinned, and there was perfect teeth of hers. Her eyes flashed susceptibly. Sure, she turned to her instructor. Is he all right? The instructor shrugged and nodded her head. She was enthusiastic about the job, as Johnny was. Johnny was no thing to discuss. Had no thing to discuss with Nadia, save the brushy, burning passion united them both. He needed to go somewhere quiet. Johnny knew the perfect spot. He touched it gently on his shoulder and nodded towards the fire escape. They scaled the stairs until they reached the top. They were both lit a little breath when they got there. She put her hands on either side of her. She put, she put her hands on either side of her slim waist and breathed in deeply to fill her lungs again. Johnny leaned forward and kissed, trying to kiss on her lips. She welcomed him, raising his her hands, running her fingers through his hair. Her lips felt soft against his. How about we take this party outside, Johnny said. Sure, Nadia said. Johnny pushed against the fire escape. Johnny pushed against the fire escape bar. He knew the alarm would go off. So he'd been, as he'd been the one to save it. The familiar sucker of air as he pushed the door open, the bright blast of sunlight momentarily blinding him. Austin spooed beneath him. From here, they could hear the soft honk of angry horns, a general background noise. There was something else in it they hadn't expected to see. He felt his arousal fade again to fade. The view still looked, took his breath away, but this time for a completely new reason. It looked like something from a sci-fi novels he liked to read in his free time. Nadia clearly had noticed it, as she was already wrapping her arms around her neck, his neck, preparing to press her, her lips against his again. For the first time in his life, Johnny wasn't interested. He uncovered her arms. She had a hurt expression on her face. Is there something wrong, she said. You could, would say, you could say that, Johnny said. Of all of a hundred feet tall, perhaps more. It was difficult to tell with the distance. Wrapped around the entire city, the view of the landscape and nature and the distance were completely blocked out. It just appeared as if from nowhere something was happening, something big. On his right, he saw a bunch of helicopters depositing a final piece of wall in place. A rope was releasing a hoisting went back inside the helicopter. There was no thunderous boom as they dropped. The whole city would have heard them. What's going on? Nadia said. Quarantine, Johnny said. What? What does that word quarantine mean? What does the word mean, quarantine? Johnny turned to look at her. It means we're fucked. Eight. The words didn't make any sense to Samantha. Highly trained part of her brain. Used to interpret their meaning. Had shut down. Been malfunctioning ever since he came back to her life. All she could see was him. All she could think about was him. The past four years, he'd hardly seen her. And then, now here he was, sitting opposite her at this restaurant, permanently. She peered at the Sunday broadcast paper, newspaper, saw his menu, and peered into his gorgeous blue eyes. They scanned her own menu. They flickered up. She quickly diverted her eyes away. Her cheeks flushed like an innocent teenager. Do you know what you want yet? Tommy said. You. Despite her recent, his recent escapades, in release, Tommy knew her better than anyone. The only one dish he'd ever ordered, ever ordered in a Tanzanian restaurant. The waiter reproached his new, his new pen, not pen, and pen. But did you know what he said? Yes, I think so, Tommy said. 
I have a spaghetti bolognese, please. And a chicken carburetor for me, Samantha said. Why? The waiter said, the house red would be fine. Tommy said, the waiter nodded and turned to leave. So here we are again, Samantha said. Here we are, Tommy said, reaching across the table and taking a hand. He turned her palm over and ran his fingers over his soft skin of the forearm. He knew he gave her goosebumps. How's the first going, Tommy said. Fine, Samantha said. We we pogrim the virus. We think we take on can take on Ebola. Ebola. We've been injecting it into the infected tissue soon. Talking about this stuff really makes me hungry. Tommy said with his cold expression. You're going. You asked, Samantha said. Have you decided what you're going to do next? Tommy just returned, weighing up his options. For some bit, for the time being, he was still serving in the military. I'm going to f- try to get stationed here, Tommy said. What if you can't? Then I'll find something else. You f- love your job, Johnny. Tommy squeezed her hand. I love you more. And there was a tingle up her spine. No need to, for the deliberate touch this time. Tommy often had that effect on her. They broke apart with the waiter, brought their meals over. As he uncorked a fresh bottle of wine, Tommy Slaver looked at the meal with some trepidation. The sauce was sloppy and jitterless. A passer neither under or overgot meal was always chewy, but they wasn't here for the food. They came for the tradition. It is where they had their first date, and Sanford's nothing, if not a hopeless romantic. Waiter poured a splash of wine into a glass, and went handed it to Tommy. He tasted it and nodded his head, and waiter performed an odd little movement, turning away from him for a moment, he poured the glasses and reduced, placed them on the table. Samantha was thirsty, wet her lips with her tongue, prepared to throw her head back, and down the whole thing. Wait, Tommy said, I think there's something in your glass. Indeed there was, something dark at the bottom. Damn restaurant, why didn't they clean it properly? All it took was a little elbow grease, we to say in the word grease. Why did they need to have this place as the location of their first ever date? Because there weren't many options outside their race. She told herself this was the best there was. She picked up the fork and used it to fish out the item. Whatever it was, it was solid. She worked at it and placed it at the palm of her hand. It's a ring, I must said. Waiter must have dropped it. He peered closely at it. Funny, she said. It doesn't look like a man's ring. Actually, looks very feminine. Samantha was a smart lady. She put herself through medical school and signed up to me, the military to help pay for her training. She did it with pleasure. She was from a long line of military veterans. She found a way to put her only satisfying our own needs of finding a more suitable career, but also gave her the blessings of somewhat prickly parents. It been hard, grueling work. It paid off. Sometimes, away from the written word, it took her a little while to piece to get things together. She glanced into Tony's, Tommy's eyes. He reached across her table and took the hand that held the ring. Her heart palm was still damp with wine. Then he got to one knee. Oh my God, Samantha said. Words come in, a breathy gasp. She wrapped her hand around her mouth. She couldn't believe this was happening. Yes, she said immediately. Hang on, Tommy, he said. You have, you have to ask. You let me. You have to let me ask the question first. Samantha laughed. Her vision grew blurry and tears ran down her cheeks. Okay, sorry. It's nice to know. I'm into onto the short thing. Tommy said with a grin. He cleared his throat gently and began to recite something. 
he committed to memory. Every day he knows it. Only thought, ever thought about two things. A good bottle of ice cold beer, to beer and you. I loved you ever since I laid eyes on you. Ever, every day in the desert was torture. Not because of the heat or the danger, but because I'm a part, I was apart from you. Now, I'm with you. Oh, I couldn't be happier. Dr. Samantha, Jekyll's middle name, De Courtney, Courtney, will you marry me? Samantha thought she was dreaming. Tommy knew she hated being the centre of attention. But right then, in front of all these people, it felt like the most natural thing in the world. Restaurant frankly few. Other preachers turned and smiled, temporarily removing themselves from the concerns of their own lives, and looked upon the creation of something new, something beautiful, two lives previously unknown to each other over six years ago would become one. So if it took struck a pose, she was thinking about it. I suppose so. Said, yes, you know it is. Tommy stood up. He kissed Samantha on the lips as he wrapped her arms around his waist. Samantha wiped the tears from her eyes. Patrons clapped. Tommy turned to, the, turned to them and bowed regally. Thank you for your kind support, he said. We set donations for the big event. I promised to spend it on something ridiculous. Some of the customers actually opened their wallets. Tommy waved his hand and shook his head. I was joking. Patrons each should owe a little money. Paid for the meal. It was a healthy tip for the way to do. Thank you very much, Tommy said. He sat down. I'm not sure everyone has ever had a sponsored proposal before, he said. He was very corny, Samantha said with a grin. He, she, he knew she loved corn. You love me, Tommy said. Not really the romantic type. Easier to follow the guidelines. Works for me. Tommy's phone buzzed. It reached into his pocket. It had two phones. It was, it was, if it is normally phone, you'd have ignored it. But if it, if, but if it, it, if was that they referred to as his back phone. Excuse me, he said. He opened it up and stood up at the table. He got no further than a few steps away from Samantha's own back phone ring too. Something big was going down. He answered it and realised she must have been listening to the same message. Tommy himself was. Her eyes widened. Turned and looked. Tommy looked, turned and looked at her. Oh my God. Nine. Tommy and Samantha stepped from the restaurant. It was a cool night. The streets were quiet. They were perhaps thankful. Hadley eaten a single footful of their meals. They picked up their things, paid for the meal, nodded there. Their thanks to the other patrons and left, judging by the looks of the others' faces and the meat and meals, weren't made that way for long. So Amanda sighed and shared a look with Tommy. Nothing ever lasts, does it? she said. No, Tommy said, taking her hand. But we will. A blackened out van shrieked as it pushed <coughs> the <truck coughs> from the curb. The black doors flew open. Tommy and Samantha climbed on board. The seats and ran down each other's side. Already occupied, the condemned contained Tommy's team, who already donned their helmets. Tommy took a seat opposite Samantha. No sooner had their bums kissed the cushion when the van took off. Tommy put on his helmet and caught Samantha's eyes. See you on the other side, pulled on the visor down, and tucked the earplugs in his eyes. A scanner, a sensor scanned his irises. A message flashed on screen. A vendor's vacation verified. Welcome, Sergeant Thomas Watts. A man appeared on screen. He was in his mid-fifties. 
graying at the temples, very disinterested looking, a full military uniform, and vast array of medals and ribbons pinned on his chest. His name was Alexander Maxwell, a senior colonel, United States military. He led campaigns across the globe in America's interest. He was the kind of man every boy dreamed of becoming when they grew up, a man of Howard high ordeals. So I interrupt you during your forlong so soon after being having returned to practice. <laughs> this is a mercy. Colonel Maxwell said, just two hours ago, we accepted a message on social media that shows a man in his late twenties was coming to some kind of virus. Maxwell was placed by footage, video footage of a man lying on the street. A woman knelt beside him, helping him. A man began to shiver and shake. Tommy knew there was something very wrong with this Jew the moment he opened his eyes. His attention was focused entirely on the woman bent over him, specifically a bare neck. He sprang up wicked fast and wrapped his jaw around her throat. He tore out a chunk of flesh and chewed on it, letting the woman collapse on the ground. Then the affected man got to his feet and descended on the camera. The other image shifted to another image, CTTV camera footage of another man shaking on the street, his wife and kids beside him. He opened his eyes, latched onto his youngest girl and tore into her. Other images of what may have been a helicopter or drone, peering down on a crowd of people, three random hunched partitions. Postures, arms on either side, bent and twisted the claws they chased the crowd, ran them like a game of, giant game of tag. Some were fast enough, most wasn't. We don't know what the virus's origins this time, Colonel. Maxwell said, appearing on the screen again. However, we've seen the effect it has on human system. Shuts down organs one by one, heart, lung, even most of the brain. Host is eventually dead. It maintains control only of core limb symptoms. Shots to the creature's body do nothing but slow it down. Only shots to the head or else severe severe severing the spinal column, preventing the brain from sending messages as a desired effect. The image shifted to a map of the United States, then zoomed in further to Texas, then the city of Austin. Wrapped around the city was a massive wall a Tommy had never seen implied in the field before. He looked he looked to be doing the job. Austin, with no gaps in the wall, no doors of all out, or in or out of the city. You and your team will enter via the elevated position at each wall section. Troubles are too noisy and attract too much attention. As you can see from these satellite images, a great deal of damage is done to the city. We expect that it was a fire swept through the downtown, stopped in its tracks only by the park on the one side, a large motorway on the other. The streets are highlighted when an arrow moved along it. You and your team would sweep the following route. Your teams would sweep the other locations. You would destroy every affected you come across, recover any survivors you meet, and send them back to the wall. They will be tested for the virus. You may zoomed in closer and closer to the figuring. figures lumbering around the streets. Could be made out of individually, a gang of three or four. On their knees, tucking into something they found on the street, within trails hanging out of his body, it's almost impossible to tell what it was. This is war. It's happening on our very own territory. Your job is to shut it down and cut it off with its tracks and ensure it doesn't spread any further. Reverie, your weapons have been fitted with silences. Please note, not all weapons have been adapted for silence. Some have been enhanced with a great more sound. 
create work, work is distraction. Manipulate the creatures ahead one way while you ambush them from the other. It's individually the infected appeared to be relatively harmless and easy to dispose of. However, it's extremely dangerous when allowed to hold from hold. I must not allow this to happen. You should ensure you have a clean and clear exit at all times. You do not want to get caught in a corner. You will lose your advantage and very likely your lives. That brings us to the end of the, the briefing. If you have any questions, direct them to the oil superior officer on the ground. In the meantime, good luck in your mission and good Godspeed. The image turned black. Tommy removed the helmet, still proceeding, processing the information. He leaned, he looked up at Samantha, who had only been now removing the helmet. Her eyes met. They're zombies, she said. It sounded absurd, and yet there was little doubt in his mind. It was actually what he'd seen. The zombie apocalypse had begun.